it's knowing that everything is fickle. Nothing is guaranteed. Right? I mean, it's the reason that we're cross-platform. It's not because we want to make a game that has to be able to be played no matter what the hell you try to touch it. You know, kind of thing. Yeah, that's harder. That's harder to do. Scotch. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 342 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm even sleepier than I was last time. I'm Sam, and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is December 16th, 2021. Uh, is that right? No. Yep, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Wow. It's really flying by. Uh, before we get any further, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity on this show. Uh, we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Uh, we've got, a, a, I assume, a final donation from Bam182 who says, Best. So we got a series of donations. Is there uh, a punctuation full, on it, or is it just yeah? Okay. There's an exclamation mark. That feels pretty final. So it's not it's not an adjective leading into another. I guess if you if you have an adjective that's describing another adjective, that's also that's an adverb, right? I mean, that's an that's an adjective, mm-hmm. or is it right. adjective? Yeah. I can't I can't remember because I remember thinking of adverbs as like yeah, it's something that describes a verb. I mean, it has but the then word verb right in it, you know. Yeah, but like for example, the word "really" mm-hmm. is is used to to is used to emphasize another adjective, and I'm pretty sure that's also an adverb. I don't think it's but an I adverb. Can't. I don't think it's. I think I think you're just getting tricked because it ends with ly, you know, and it's the whole like the grammar rules were taught, where it's always like, oh yeah, here's the rule, and then and then we're like, there are literally one million exceptions to that rule, but just like i before e. Except after C, and then, I, but also, I think, weird, but not I think weird, it's an ad, though, you know. I think it's an adverb. I think it, it is. Be. I think, anyways, we'll have to settle this uh, off mic using Google. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, also, we like to thank our recurring supporters who donate monthly. Thank you very much. Now, we got a couple of news items. Okay, first off, some of our listeners may recall the saga of Fencegate. I was trying to get a new fence, and the Homeowners Association said, no. You can't have a six-foot fence. They didn't say how tall of a fence I could have. They only said that I couldn't have a six-foot fence. I think what we left okay. it is that you had emailed them like multiple times and had heard nothing. I emailed them a bunch and they said nothing. Um, and then after, I think it was like 12 days of me trying to reach them and bearing in mind that the last thing they said to me was, no, you cannot do this. Okay. So after about 12 days, they finally responded. They said, your request has been approved. <laughs> And then, and then they they they, they kind of like threw in this like weirdly harsh like bear in mind that you are absolutely not allowed to do anything other than exactly what was in your proposal, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, but like my proposal's against the rules, so I just went ahead and did it. I just went. <laughs> I mean, you got it, right? Yeah, I, yeah. They said it, and they sent me an explicit confirmation. Yeah. So uh, fence went up, and I gotta say, I could not believe how quickly they put that mm-hmm. thing up. Mm-hmm. It was like four hours one day, three hours the next day, boom. That's like Ooh, 180 fence. feet of fence. And also like the feet really add up. Like you don't think it's that many feet of fence, but it's a lot of feet <laughs> of fence. Uh, and they just they just blasted up and they accidentally forgot their radio at my house. So you know, I got a radio too now. Hey, they just they left advertise that? Were they like free radio with Free fence? radio with every... <laughs> Free beaten up uh, neon orange Bluetooth radio with mm-hmm. every fence installation. 
Uh, so I know that a lot of our listeners were just really at the edge of their seat on oh, that yeah. cliffhanger about whether or not this fence was going to happen. And, you know, it happened. And I didn't have to, before the end of the I year. didn't have to break any, any rules. In, in the rules theory. are funny. Cause so I'm, I'm getting all of my windows replaced because my house is like 130 years old and I don't know how long this one has been here, but they're plain ass glass. So the sun's just like, Hey buddy. And just fries everything, you know, mm-hmm. inside the house. So we're gonna, gonna get them all replaced, and uh, it, and but we live in this like historic district because all the houses are 130 years old. So there's like so you gotta have rules. There's a historic, historic entity like run by the city that uh, get controls the rules about what we're allowed to do, right? And uh, but they always like they have to be specific, right? So they're, they're like they're the which just makes them weird and lack any nuance, right? And so so like our windows like if they can be seen from the street. They have mm. to be wood, mm. right? They have to be like a wooden window because it's like to match with the historic thing, except they also have to be yeah, painted. Yeah, because we all know that we all know that the rich history from that area of the wooden all, window, all like we wood. all know the story yep. about how important it was it that the houses in that wood. neighborhood had wooden windows. That's <laughs> that's part of the history. Yeah, of but, the, the, but of then the they area. have to be painted though, right? Which means you can't tell that it's wood. You can't tell that they're wood. <laughs> But even further, you're allowed to have, it's called aluminum cl- cladding. I don't know. It's like a thing that goes over Cladding? The, it goes over the wood. So you so you have to have wood, but you can cover it with aluminum. Nothing else, though. You, you can cover it with aluminum, and then you and then you have to paint it. So Right. So it's sort of like a, a wooden core wrapped uh-huh. in aluminum covered in paint. And they're it, like, I mean, it is technically wood. It's technically really wood. What's on the inside that counts? That should be their their tagline for but the, then they don't but then you're allowed to do whatever you want inside your house you know so it's not even what's on the inside that counts it's fucking it doesn't make any sense that's true it's, it's really not weird. what's on the it's what's on the <laughs> it's what we know is on the inside of your windows that counts like very specifically mm-hmm. it's so weird. Sl- so what you're saying is their slogan is like that line from Futurama like technically correct is the best kind of <laughs> <Yes>. correct <laughs> <laughs> Your windows have to technically they have to be technically wood. Ma- yeah, so because all I, bets are off though as far as what's really going on. Yeah, there. I thought a company that makes a, that makes a window where like the, it's a synthetic material, but it, like it looks and paints and stains like wood, right? And I was like, oh, perfect, because that way it's wood basically as far as it matters, right? Yeah, but they get a, they get a test it or and something. They were still they were so. still just like no, no, it's not. That's not. I'd like to see sort of like uh, one of these enforcers from this thing going around and sort of like the gold. Like biting a gold coin, just going at people's windows, like biting, yeah, like tapping on the wood. That, that ain't real licking wood. the wood. <laughs> that, <laughs> that that's fake ass wood. Like real wood. So <laughs> bizarre, but yeah, yeah. But the rules I think are funny because the other rule that I, that we came across when we we're doing it about whether you have to get a permit or not is if you're replacing more than twenty five percent of your windows, it requires a like a, a building permit, right? Is that like what's the cool down? Is exactly, because then I was like, then can I just do it? Four times, and then not have to. Is that percent many? in like square in like square footage? Because like, what if you have like mm. one huge window, it's just enormous, just and quantity. then like thirty very small windows? I think it's like it counts as like how windows. many holes in the house are there, in which a window sits. You know. So it sounds like you definitely okay. could just split this up into four. If technically these are four separately contracted jobs, mm-hmm. even if they happen back to back. Oh, wait, so you can only you can replace twenty five percent just in one go. Well, no, I then, can replace them all, but if I replace more than twenty five percent, then I have to get a permit for it. But right. there's no but cool down. There's no clear window of time under which that you know, yeah. replacement happens. There's so. no clear window of time, and then okay, I don't <laughs> even know if I don't. So then if I don't have to get a permit, 
do I, even, do I even have to follow the rules? You know, so like if I just if I just That's did true. it four times, a fourth of the windows at a time, could I just do whatever kind of windows I want? You know, it sounds like anyway. It. It sounds like it's that's all what's absurd. happening. It's just all absurd. It just goes to show you, uh, you know, when you're programming, when you're making up a rule set, you got to be really careful for those. Got to get those test rules. cases in there. Yeah, to get the test cases in there, because otherwise you're going to have these bugs, you know, yeah. Yeah. escape. Clearly, this uh, this historic document did not go through a QA process of like, no. mm-hmm. well, what about what about when this happens? How would someone well, circumvent it, this is always the question. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or you know, it's like when people talk about, if people say like, oh, I'm not very good with computers, like they never do what I tell them, right? And it's like, no, that's the problem is they, they do exactly what you tell them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're just not being specific enough or you don't understand the full scope of the problem or the tool that you're using, yeah. right? So like if you make a rule that says tw- you can only replace 25% of your windows at once, otherwise permit, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, what would happen if somebody just exactly did that? Could they still replace every window? Could they still do literally anything that they want while still following the rule? And the answer is, of course, yeah, definitely. (laughs) But they'll just be annoyed about it kind of, you know, the whole time. (laughs) They'll just be a little bit annoyed that they have to break their job up into four jobs, but otherwise they can still just do whatever they want. Uh, It's all about user experience. We've also also got some great NFT news and blockchain news. Yeah. NFT watch. Now this isn't studio news because now you can you can put a pin in this. You can you can mark my words here. We will never we will never nope. use NFTs or blockchain in any of our games. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just never. Uh these are solutions in search of a problem and there are game companies out there that are trying to Fine. you know create create problems. problems that they can then solve with an NFT. Don't we have enough problems and, already, you know? Right. So apparently, well, we're about to get more. So Stalker 2 uh, was in the news this past week. It's a game that's, is it out or is it coming out? It's coming out in 2022. 2022. Yeah. Stalker mm-hmm. 2, Heart of Chernobyl. Okay. So they announced that they are releasing an NFT in January. NFT, non-fungible token. It's just a digital blob mm-hmm. that you can buy from someone and sell to someone. Okay. So one of the core ideas with the NFT is that you're supposed to be able to freely exchange it with other people, mm-hmm. right? It's it's supposed to be like a free open thing. And we've talked in the past about how it makes no sense to have an NFT coupled to anything in a video game because the video game itself is controlled by the developer of the game, right? So now we get to see this play out in the real world because Stalker 2 is releasing their NFT in January. Uh, people can buy this NFT and then, of course, it's well, an NFT, which means they're free to exchange it with each other. Yeah, well, it's, right? a, it's an auction item for a single NFT. This isn't like a broader system of tokens and stuff. There's well, that's the thing. That's the thing about, yeah, that's the thing about NFT is like it is a unique one of a kind token, mm-hmm. right? So it's not like you, you don't buy like 10 of this NFT, there's only one of each token right mm-hmm. so they're so they're going to release one token that uh so that it'll be just up for auction people can buy it whatever and then and then i guess fans of the game they're not players yet because i don't think the game will be out yet but like people can buy and sell this this one token between each other or maybe somebody will buy it and then just not sell it to anybody 
Maybe. Or whatever. Because, you know, you can also do that. But all it does so, is, like, whoever wins the auction, the original auction, can have the chance to scan them, get scanned at the studio of the stalker team, and be put into the game as a— Well, that's not even, that's not even it. It's not even about the original auction. It's that it's that people. So so the company's going to sell it. People can exchange the NFT amongst themselves and buy and sell it and bid for it against each other. Like right, and then at some point, the, whoever holds the NFT at that point is now the, basically the quote the winner of uh, this like so contest. Basically, yeah. Well, it's not, it's not the final person because it's an NFT, which means no, no, it no, can be bought no, and no, sold continually it, just forever. No, but it is right? in the sense that the the uh, the final person is the only. Because they're putting a limit on the total time this is happening. And this is kind of the point we're getting to, which is that an NFT yeah. doesn't have any power to do shit because it's just a receipt. So it's just a receipt right. and I'll, people bid on this receipt up until some time. Someone's going to win it and then people can – that person can sell it or do whatever in the usual sense. And then – but they're only allowing it for a certain amount of time up until yeah. which point they say – I'm going uh, to have to exchange it back to like – at the, the like, company. Well, no, this is the – this and this is the weird thing, right? Because like the whoever wins this competition – they, they come into the studio, they get scanned, and basically their likeness gets added to the game as an NPC, okay? So, but but since they're doing this with an NFT, the whole point of an NFT is it's decentralized. Nobody controls the NFT, mm-hmm. right? So whoever whoever holds the NFT at any given time can continue to freely buy it and sell it, mm-hmm. right? And so, so this company is doing something that is 100% centralized and dictated by them, but they're using this NFT as a way of like, I guess, marketing it yeah, or something. Just creating some because noise. because they're selling the NFT, people exchange it, and then and then at a certain point in time, the thing that the NFT is supposed to represent is no no longer exists, right? Which is the opportunity to be an NPC in this game. Yeah. Right. And so somebody is going to be holding that NFT after this contest is over, and it will essentially point to nothing. But they can, but like I mean, this of whoever yeah, but, won it. Yeah, they're using it for a different purpose here, though. So I don't think I don't think the critique along that dimension really makes any sense. Of like, well, now now you have it, but it's not worth anything anymore because it was a medium of exchange, right? Where you're transacting the token basically for being in the in the game, mm-hmm. in essence, right? Yeah. And so the exchange that's happening in between now is what basically a person is now selling the opportunity to have that. Right to be yes. in the game. So when someone's holding NFT, that basically their the transactions is they're just trading off. So now it's like, oh, now you pay me to be in the game instead, right? And they can just keep on going if somebody feels like the price is you know right as it, as well, it the, goes. right. But they can't be in the game instead, right? There's only the tra- the the conversion of like a real person to an in-game character happens one time. Yeah, that's what I mean though, because because right. if you're holding NFT, that will be you. Yeah, right, right. at that time. So, as long as you're holding it, as long as you're holding when it, that when, that when that the deadline. Yeah. So that means if yeah. you sell it, you're selling. That's what you're exchanging. You're exchanging. Oh, you can now. You can be the person who's going to be that person, right? And you give me right. money. So, so that's part is interesting, right? Because like that, it's essentially it's a decentralized auction in the sense that that the company uh, sets the initial price they sell the NFT at, mm-hmm. but then beyond that, it's up to the the holder of the NFT as to whether or not you know they want to sell that right to be mm-hmm. an NPC in the game to another person for a higher price, but the company is no longer involved in the auction, essentially, Correct. right? So, like, as players traded amongst themselves, the company is not getting a cut of, of that, mm-hmm. right? Um, but at the same time, this doesn't really do anything. Well, it does something uh, really important, actually, which is 
it it takes advantage of NFT hype, right? Yeah. For a thing that otherwise <laughs> yeah. would be really hard to do as a company. So like as a company, you selling like the ability for somebody to be in the game, like this is a this is a kind of thing that's been done before, but it usually doesn't have like people don't want to spend a lot of money on that mostly. So it's really hard to get that kind of a hype, right? But the whole idea of like the the multi-level marketing scam that is an NFT system is that it's the idea that the people in the pool make money off of the next person. That's the whole idea, right? Yeah. yeah, you buy the NFT so that you, so can, you can sell it at a higher price it. to somebody else. Yeah. So, so here, <laughs> it's a speculative bubble. Yeah, here they actually get to take advantage of that fact to make this thing appear more valuable because now the idea is that each person buying the NFT is, Might be able to is not it buying it because they necessarily want to have that opportunity to be in the game, right? They're buying it because they think they can sell it to somebody else at a higher price. And so essentially, so, it's a it's a financial time bomb, which is basically like the people buying and selling it are actually not necessarily interested in being an NPC. They're just speculating on a bubble now. Yeah. And at some point, the bubble is guaranteed to pop because because the this, value will because the be the deadline will hit right. Yeah. And so, so it's possible that there will be somebody at the end of this who paid a lot thinking that they would be able to resell it at the last minute, but the price gets high enough and the deadline gets close enough that nobody's going to buy it because then they won't think that they can resell it anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? And then they are forever enshrined in shame inside of it. <laughs> yeah, as, the, as the, the person who paid $400,000 to a random stranger to, be, to just have a picture of themselves put into a video game, mm-hmm. essentially. <laughs> Uh, but I think it's, yeah, that's so, what's I mean, interesting it's, to me is that the because the I get all this part, which is like this is the the part that I think is fun about this uh, idea, right? Which is that because it's essentially, I mean, it's the same thing as if you said, okay, we're going to sell a physical ticket. Okay, there's a physical auction for a, a literal ticket. We will mail it to whoever wins. Once an auction completes, though, uh, the person who won that ticket, there's like a month between that and the time where we will actually. Uh, scan someone. And it's just sort of a, whoever holds that ticket at the end of the month mm-hmm. gets scanned, um, which sounds kind of spooky because like that feels like a perfect setup for like a murder scenario and like horror yep. movie. Right? <laughs> yeah, like absolutely. Sort of battle royale over this ticket. It's um, basically, it's, a, it's your Willy Wonka golden ticket sort of scenario, right? And then you yeah. have the like, creepy guy in the alley who's like, hey kid, give me that ticket. It's <laughs> <Yeah, exactly. laughs> so, I get I, that, that part of it. This is like, this is a unique weird thing you can do in this space that uh, in theory doesn't involve people murdering each other over a physical object, right? Which is, which is cool. Um, in, but mainly in like a weird sense. But then also, I think what, where most of my questions come from is after the person is rendered into the game, the person who did hold it, what mm-hmm. value does because the NFT then points to that to that likeness of that person in the game? No, it doesn't. Yeah, it, does it was just nope, it was just the NFT it's its only exists to represent because again, an NFT doesn't have to point to a digital item necessarily. It's just a unique token mm-hmm. that's in, that's intended to represent ownership of something, right? Yep. So oh, it's just ownership in this case, of the NF- that ability. It's the ownership of the ability to when that deadline hits, get scanned and become an NPC. Yep. Got it. Right? So after this, after the deadline hits- The NFT still exists. The NFT is still exists and can still be freely traded because, again, like it's an NFT. It's not controlled by the company who mm-hmm. initially yep. like sold it. And so, but the the concept that it represented is, dead. is gone now, yeah. right? So that's what I'm saying. Like It's essentially, it's a financial hot potato where people are going to speculate on it- <laughs> 
Um, and, 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 the, and the weird thing is like, <laughs> if the company said, hey, we're going to hold an auction where players can bid against each other mm-hmm. to be an NPC, right? Then, um, then people would be like, that's kind of weird. Like why, like, why would somebody want to spend $5,000 or whatever mm-hmm. to just like be an NPC, right? Um, and also it, it just kind of like, I don't, I, it doesn't feel, it, I don't think you could say that it's unethical to have an auction to put characters in, an, like to put players into a game, but something about it just feels weird to me. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but when you do it as an NFT, it's basically like you just throw it out there, right? And then people are, like we said, they're, they're, Paying a lot of money, not for the opportunity to be an NPC, but to try to resell it and make more money, mm-hmm. right? I think this so is well. Create, I think the reason it creates feels artificial gross. hype, creates a bubble. Yeah, is, um, is it because this is this is literally just selling a ticket to a scalper? This is what this is, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's like it's the that's the reason that it feels because like because if you just do this as an auction, we're like okay, whoever gives us like the most money, they get to be in the game, right? Then it's like okay, well, whoever now is the biggest fan, who also right. is a rich person, right? Th- then that that's basically now the person buying the ability to do this. If you instead say, okay, we're going we're gonna to create a pool of scalpers, right, who can sell a ticket to each other, and some subset of them like actually want this. They actually want to be in the mm-hmm. game, right? And the rest are trying to find the ones who want that and upsell, upsell the, the cost of this thing, like try to get as much money as they can out of it, right? And so it's not just a pool of people who want to be in the game that you're now selling well, to. I, I would, I would it's the argue pool of people that, who think they can make money off of the pool of people who mm-hmm. yeah. want to be in the game, right? But I would actually argue that the people who actually want to have an NPC in the game is probably almost no one in the in the pool of people who are going to be speculating on yeah. this thing yeah. because the value of just like having a character that looks like you in a game, I mean, it's, what's the value I of mean, that? it's cool, but it's very personal, I think. And I think as soon it's as you cool. have it- Would you pay like $5,000 for that? No, I wouldn't bid against other people for that. That's the thing. Like, there's mm-hmm. there's like a price right. at which for any given person, you'd be like, oh, that's fun and cute. Like, yeah, like a Kickstarter reward sort of shit, right? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, sure. I love yeah, this if you, yeah, if you, if you dunked, yeah, if you dunked like a couple hundred bucks into a Kickstarter, then like that's kind of the level where it's like, oh, yeah, we'll put a character named after you in our game, right? right. It's like, yeah, okay, that's about what that's worth. Sure. And also, like, you're not, you're not actually getting something from that. That's just like a cool little perk for you supporting the game. Yes. Right. Uh, so with the NFT thing, it's it's uh, well, it turns it into this weird buy sell. Well, and, and now yeah, it now only becomes about the speculative bubble. Yeah, right. Because mm-hmm. like nobody's gonna pay f- like hundreds of thousands of dollars to have a, an NPC named after them yeah. and like looks like them in a game, right? So yeah, so the, the whole thing is very unusual, um, but it just kind of represents how like companies basically like they know this NFT thing exists, right? And so they're trying to like come up with new scenarios to um, to I guess take advantage of it. But all all that's happening here is it's a marketing ploy, right? Like like the game experience is one hundred percent unchanged by the fact that this NFT thing is happening. It's not, and it's not improving anybody's gameplay experience. It's not being used in an interesting like technological way to like develop mm-hmm. a new product or a new feature. Well, honestly, it's I think just taking advantage of the speculative yeah, nature. To me, that's the most of, honest you know. part of the whole thing, actually. Like, to me, this is the most honest use of an NFT so far that <laughs> has happened to <laughs> games. That's fair. Right? Because, because it is literally that. Like, it, I mean, it's like, because you could equally describe that for any marketing employer where someone's like, oh, the first five people to do X get this. The mm-hmm. person who buys the most of this gets that. You know, like all those kinds of things, right? Which we yes. see constantly. That's like a, 
a standard stock uh, marketing uh, maneuver, right? Yeah, which an NFT, which you're right, like NFTs are actually, this is the one scenario where it's like, yeah, actually it's good for creating a speculative hype bubble. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. its, that's its purpose, right? And so- yeah. So I actually think that if you're if you're going to talk about like using NFTs for something and like and the solution looking for a problem aspect like to me this is actually the, this is like the one place where the problem domain and the solution domain actually like really neatly match. I yeah. think use it to make hype bubbles. Yeah, because that's all that they do. do that. And I think I think it is a good demonstration of how the value is decoupled though, in the same sense of like yeah. uh, of any scarce good. Um, there are the people who want it to use the good for some reason because they they have their own value on it. So they take like uh, that company Supreme, right, mm-hmm. which does those like uh, scarce drops of like clothing items that look like everybody else's clothing items, but they say Supreme on them, mm-hmm. right? So their whole thing is also being scarce. They're basically NFTs for clothes, right? Mm-hmm. So when those things drop, people are just waiting in line to go be one of the like hundred or thousand or whatever people who get to have that thing. But why are they waiting in line to do that, right? A subset love the idea of owning themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A small number of that rare thing, right? And if they wait in line, they can get it at the original price. Yes. Right? If it's still there by the time they get up there. The rest of the line want to sell it to people like that. That's yep. their goal, right? Mm-hmm. And because it's scarce, then and it's, it's scarce and expensive, which means the pool of people who will buy it are willing to pay a lot of money. The difference mm-hmm. for them between like $300 and $500, not that big of a deal, right? And and that can actually keep on going up. And so so what you're actually doing with this with this hype bubble is you're- You're just creating a scalping market. Is you're creating a scalping market. Yeah. And, and then you, as the person who dumps the resource into that market, set the initial price and get that exchange, but, but then you use the scalp market to generate hype for a future drop, mm-hmm. basically, right? Yeah. Well, and but the weird thing, though, is that like what the hype is about- is just about the price of the thing, right? Yeah. Like the hype. Well, it's the scarcity. The hype, yeah, like what's get, what generates the news is going to be like, wow, can you believe the like? Yeah, the stalker. Can you believe the? Can you believe the price of this NFT right now? Like mm-hmm. what it just went for? And that's all the news is. It's not about wow, this thing is like super cool and valuable. It's like no wonder somebody paid a half million dollars for this <laughs> NFT, right? It's more like, can you believe somebody paid a half million dollars? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is news, and I, and I think like well, here I think it's right because they coupled the ownership to something a lot more tangible than like a computer generated you know monkey face or whatever. Yeah, uh, it's mm-hmm. something because because in those markets, like that's literally it's very obviously just the purpose of the thing is to be scarce, not to be mm-hmm. of value. It's just scarcity is the value, right? In this yeah. context, scarcity is still. Uh, the core component of the value, but there actually is a tangible. There's something thing that people might want. That there, well, there are there's the a subset of people it. who definitely want that, right? Who would love yeah. to have the chance to have that, have that happen. Um, and so, using like an NFT as a as a ticket to do it, uh, and like, and they didn't need to use NFTs to do this, right? Yeah. They could have, but now NFTs are like this like widely available toolkit for having a digitally scarce item that gets exchanged between people. Uh, and so they can now kind of leverage that without having to like use some third-party service or build their own tech mm-hmm. or whatever to, to do it. Um, because allowing for people to exchange a digital good in like amongst themselves, just arbitrarily, right, uh, is something that you can't just like do. Yeah, right? they're just throwing chum in the water to create a media <laughs> yeah. frenzy, yeah. basically. And then they just step back and carry on with their... Because yeah. then for them, like, <laughs> like they'll sell it for who knows what, uh, right? But uh, probably a 
decent amount to kick the thing off. And then and then there's going to be, for whatever that duration is in between, people are going to be watching what's happening with this thing, mm-hmm. right? And because it's a speculative market uh, and the people involved uh, are like doing this with lots of NFTs probably, right? So there's going to be people who are basically going to be betting on this market. And so the, 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 va- the, the apparent value of that NFT is going to get interesting, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and and really disproportional to because because of the hot potato aspect like Seth mentioned right oh yeah yeah um, almost immediately the price is going to inflate wildly beyond yeah. what anybody would reasonably pay for what the NFT actually represents yeah so it's going to be right. it's going to be like a really interesting like chaotic thing which will be just a whole story of it and it'll be hard not to pay attention to it until it finally and then like and there'll there will be a big reveal at some point of like the person who who got mm-hmm. it and who has who got the NFT last, right? Who paid some enormous amount of money to get it. The thing and now this is like a story we all know. The thing I'm most you know? curious about is is actually, is at the end of the day, if the person will show up to get scanned. Because they have to go mm-hmm. to the studio. Like that's a whole, you're, if, if you win whoever's, it, whoever's left holding this hot potato. Yeah, if they're actually yep. going to, because like that's a whole big thing. It's not like you just send a photo in or something. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's a trip. Scanned. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to be looking at, waiting for. Yeah. yeah. Now, the whole thing's going to be pretty, pretty weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, all right, let's get on to some questions. Uh, these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. Nice upvoted question comes from Chalosis, who says, how have you stayed connected to industry friends, business partners, and the local dev scene during COVID? Mm-hmm. The, I would say the industry friends and stuff has largely for me just been the usual actually it's the same way we did it before because most of them weren't in, in the st louis area um when we were all physically located there anyway so just emails occasional you know vid chats and stuff lots of video chats mm-hmm. and same deal with the platforms you know, the actual like business partners always been kind of the same deal that we were used to there uh of course didn't get to go to gdc or whatever else to actually like meet in person and kind of hang out a little bit so there's obviously some aspect of that 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 gets thrown out um, during all this. But luckily, I think we were in a good position actually heading into COVID where we already had a lot of those relationships. Um, I think really firmly established and didn't have to, we weren't and aren't in a position where we're trying to like get someone inside of one of these platforms to notice us, which is of course far easier to do if you can set up a 20 minute meeting during um, GDC or something like that, where they maybe don't know anything about you, but that's that's literally what their job is for that week. Um, yeah, at this point, the IR, the IRL aspect is mostly a uh, kind of an. It would be nice, yeah, and like a, it's more like we just want to be people together and establish a, like a better human connection. Yeah, because yeah. the reality is that people do business with people they enjoy being around is very very true, and so you know that aspect of it is much harder to get. I think always through just like scheduled Zoom calls and stuff like that. So I would say it's more or less been uh, the same. I think the local dev scene one is the one that. Of course, it's much more challenging because a lot of that was just kind of the physical co-location of stuff, um, showing up at events and things like that. But we also, I think we largely kind of pulled yeah, away from that anyway, so just kind of being in our dev cave for at least a year or so before the pandemic hit. So I don't think it changed all that much, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I think we, we yeah, we over the past four, probably four years, I would say, yeah, we definitely turned a lot more inward mm-hmm. and have spent less time in the in the local uh, dev scene here. Um we did do occasional like game jams and mm-hmm. and stuff like that uh, off and on, but yeah, I don't know. It's I mean even the broader dev scene though. You know, like we don't we used to write a lot of articles and try to get talks in GDC a lot. Um, and we do on occasion we now, but to a lot of other devs that we saw pub like 
people that we didn't know yet, but we'd see that they published something on Steam that we thought was cool and that we try to like reach out, you know? Yeah. Which yeah. I still do on occasion. Um, but uh, but they, we used to have a lot more fun. I mean, like, I was even thinking back, and we probably talked about it in ancient podcast episodes. Um, for those early GDCs, yeah, probably at about that timeline of like four years ago ish, uh, we would like come with a stack of business cards. We'd like aggressively get everybody else's business cards. We'd like make sure we, like, I would be taking notes like after each we logged everything. end of each oh, yeah. day. I'd take notes about the people I met. I'd like I'd go through the cards, make sure I remember who was who. You know, I'd take notes like on their card while we were talking. You know. And we have like we have a whole database full of all the people that we met, like what companies they're from, uh, kind of what we chatted about, who was the point of contact, like mm-hmm. which one of us was the person who talked to them, you know. Uh, like we did, we, we had, just, yeah, we had thousands. We of, had tons of people of that we references there, and yeah. uh, and I mean, it, which was a very cool thing because we also had like like what is their domain, like what is it intersect with what we're doing, so where can we maybe have like knowledge share, or, you know, like what what would we reach out to this person for, and uh, and over time. At GDC, the uh, churn happened. Yeah, we, so the, so the two things happened. One is basically the people that we started to meet became more and more just people trying to sell us services, not other game developers. And then and then the churn, which is that this industry is unforgiving mm-hmm. and brutal, and in many cases abusive. Also, on top of that, right? So the number of people who like we would meet one year who were still doing who were at the same company the next year mm-hmm. was very small. Uh, and the people who also just were even still in the industry, right, was yep. very small. And like, and we had, an, in particular, a list of, uh, like for Crashlands when we launched uh, in 2016, right? We had this huge list of, of, the, of press mm-hmm. contacts that we reached out to, that Sam had like dialogue with, that, like, and it was, so it was like, hundreds of people. And then when we turned around to start preparing for like, the Levelhead launch, and we're reaching back out to those same people. What was it? It was like a 70% oh, yeah, like rate almost, of, yeah, of people not it was almost, I think it was like one in 10 were, were still doing it. But of those, mm-hmm. of that like 10%, like half of them were just elsewhere now or sort just of different companies, doing yeah. it in a very different, like me just completely freelance or whatever else. And so it was honestly kind of shocking in the sense that like, Okay, that's a tremendous amount of effort we had been exerting to try to, I think, I think that that sort of, Really intense push is really useful when you're actually in the like a rough launch window for a game, like roughly like six months or so. Is really like aggressively making sure you know people and uh, and reaching out and stuff. The problem is that like if the people you're meeting aren't going to be around by the time the thing comes out, it's not to say that the only purpose of it, of course, is like just to do business stuff. But um, from like a well, sheer, I mean, that's why you're there. It is why you're I mean, there. But like from a, that's why you're going to GDC from a sheer like energy expenditure standpoint. I think it became one of those ones where you're like, oh, actually, it's weird because you need to sur- you personally need to survive a very long time in order to make good on a lot of the connections that you've made because people do end up in other places that end up being and thinking of you. You know, whether it's like at a new platform and then being like, oh, we know this, we know these guys. We're gonna give give them a call. Um, mm-hmm. Which has happened multiple times, which has been great, but also yeah, it was actually a lot of like why Levelhead uh, had such a good launch was on so many platforms was because people we knew mm-hmm. had gone from one platform to another platform that we previously didn't have good access to, and we're like, oh hey, now nice to see that. you here now, mm-hmm. you know, like let's let's talk about what we're up to, and and we still like might have been able to pull those things off, right? Uh, it's no, there's no way to know, um, but it definitely helped yeah, and made easier. it easier. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, to uh, already have somebody over there. Well, yeah, and there's there's one other layer to all of this, which is it's just a direct extension of the churn, which is that 
um, the kinds of problems that we have on a day-to-day basis or month-to-month basis are always changing, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Um, depending on uh, depending on what our business goals are, what our tech technological goals are, you know, what kinds of tech we're trying to make. Um, you know, we you know, we've learned pivoted into DevOps, and we have a lot of work on like deployments. You know, like and that's that that kind of stuff we just were not thinking about mm-hmm. five years ago or five years before that, right? And so there's this kind of interesting thing that happens, which is like really early on in your dev career, you have a specific set of problems, right? Making the games is hard. Figuring out how to just like get a team together is hard. There's a lot of hard problems at the beginning that you don't have 10 years later. You got a different set of yes, problems, right. right? 10 years later, you're now so, maintaining a portfolio and you've got employees and if you do, now have tech debt, you're trying to dig yourself out. Yeah, of, and you have this yeah. array so pool, of uh, people that you know and like, and, and, Places you've published your past games, which has now changed the dynamics of your relationships between different third parties. Because as soon as like you haven't published in one place, but you have another place, and that makes this person a little unhappy about what you're up to. But you know, and like, and you start getting yeah. into this interesting space. And so, like, if you're just publishing your first game, that's just that doesn't that's not that's not a thing that you've ever even conceived of having to think about, right? And you don't <laughs> because you to, haven't mostly, had to, yeah. and you don't need to, right? And so there's this thing that happens, which is like the longer we found that the longer we're in the, the industry, the more specific our problems become, and also the fewer developers there are that share the same problems as yes. we have, right? Because our problems are going from general to very specific, um, and so we found that that going into a lot of uh, broader communities like GDC or local dev scene or you know whatever, um, most of the people in in these like conferences or events are people who have been in it for not very long just because there's high churn, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the subject matter, the talks, whatever, really do revolve around a lot of the early problems yes. of, of game Those dev. Those are the most yeah, common. the case, like for our early GDCs, they were- Because they're common, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah cause it's, or, or because you just, you, it's sort of like just like in regular life, you know, there's always that idea that there are some mistakes that people just have to make because you can't convince yes. them otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, until, until the other side of it. And yeah. you just hope they live <laughs> through the mistake is kind of the idea, right? And it's kind of, it's the same deal here too, right? And it's not just that, it's also the sheer number of things that a person would have to be aware of is also not something you can just easily pass down Mm -hmm. because it's like, that's like, you know, a thick textbook of things that may or may not be applicable to any given situation. So it just, it just is the case that, that in that early phase, the things that you worry about are the common things, as you guys were saying, right? So it's, it's all about making the games and getting it, getting your Getting it on the first platform, mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. your first launch, uh, but also that scene has changed, yeah, enormously, right? And uh, and and what the what it looks like between the platforms and the monetization systems have changed, right? Because like at GDC, the first time we went, um, or the first times we went, like every, there wasn't anything about mobile at all, despite mobile already being a huge market. And mm-hmm. then as the years continued, you started to see it. And there was like a whole kind of mm-hmm. component of that, but that's also then where all of a sudden that's where all the money came from. Right. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly like, that's what the sponsorships were for GDC. And then like everybody there was an advertiser trying to get you to put their yeah, advertising. So many GDC talks game. about mobile were purely about monetization. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Like I'd say like nine out of 10 mobile talks were not about like, how do you make a great mobile game? Blah, blah. blah. It was all about just like engagement metrics and monetization. Yep. And then one year <laughs> VR was like the big thing. I think the last time we were there actually. 
Just for uh, a year, though. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, but the, and, and, and it was literally the case, like, every person I talked to who wasn't somebody trying to sell me something was... Was a new developer. Was a new developer yeah. doing that. And they're not around. No, exactly. Yeah, all all I could part. say at the time was either have to hold my tongue or say, like, I, you really should reconsider doing this as, as your foray into games um, because there is no market here, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. but we just had this over and over. Like, and Seth and I went to Steam Dev Days back in 20, 2017, maybe? 17, something like that. They've only had one since we've been in business. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, but there was the same deal. Like, Steam was pushing VR yep. at that point, right? And so, again, like, everybody, we just turned around and said, like, say hi. Because everybody there was a developer with a game on Steam, which is cool, right? It was like, oh, yeah, this is like, this is a group of people who have similar problems to us. Mm-hmm. But then, nope, it's all people making VR games, right? I think DICE is and, still uh, the, the one conference that seems like people are far enough along. Most people are, have been doing game things for at least, you know, yeah. probably 10 But that group's focused that on, like, production and the business side, right? Yes, yeah. 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 And and they, yeah, and because they are people who have been in the industry longer, they they do have like Sam was saying that that's that stack of experience where the kinds of things that we're trying to solve, either they have seen it mm-hmm. and know somebody who's seen it, or they're currently working on the same thing, right? Um yeah, so it's it's kind of tough. Like it's it's tough to engage with larger commu- larger game dev communities like what you see, you know, like as like a, a like a city game dev co-op or, uh, or even GDC or whatever, just because, uh, yeah, just every year it becomes a little bit less applicable, mm-hmm. a little bit less relatable. Um, which isn't to say like, cause, cause our time in those things were super useful when we were in that same cool. stage. Yeah. Right. Um, but you know, things change, people change, times change. Yeah. That's okay. And it is, I mean, it is like very fun also just to, you know, meet people and, uh, shoot the shit, you know, because we are all in the same industry, then even if we aren't solving the same problems, uh, we still have the same like broad problems, namely like mm-hmm. how the fuck do you get somebody to buy the thing that you make? Because that's still, that's the key problem that everybody has to That's do. always a problem. Uh, and so, <laughs> and so like, so everybody cares a lot about what the industry looks like as a whole. Like, mm-hmm. like, are we moving to subscriptions? Is Who's on top right now? Is PlayStation still on top or they, have they finally lost their throne, you know, like the kind the, like, and trying to guess what's going to happen next. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, those conversations are really fun to have. And it's, and it's always great to hear about like, like talking to students, I thought was really fun to hear also depressing because of what they were being taught, but like learning about what they were being taught. Like mm-hmm. what is it that schools think is important, right? And how close or far is that from the reality of what it means mm-hmm. to be in the industry? Uh, and, and similar with people just starting their process, like making a game that they want to launch on Steam, right? Because we we started on Steam in the green light days, mm. right? Mm-hmm. The end of the green yeah. light days. And, uh, and so the problems that people are dealing with are just different now. Um, and so getting to yeah. kind of like At that time, there was, uh, how many games, a, how many games a week came out on Steam when we launched Crash Ends? Was it, it was maybe like it two was, a day? It was tens. Yeah. Something I like thought that. it was all the way up. I thought it was, up, I thought it was all the, all the, already all the way up to... Because uh, it was every month, it was like a hundred games from like that, wasn't it? Back at that time, yeah. Something so that's like, like that, three yeah. a day. Yeah, yeah. it was just yeah. not very many. But now, yeah, now it's I don't know, what's it? Was a hundred a hundred a week, hundred a day a now? I, I think, think it's something it's, like a thousand a month or something. Really it's getting up there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's and this is something we talked about uh, around the time that the, that Steam removed Greenlight and just opened up the you know pay a hundred bucks to launch a game thing. Uh, that like it's just only a matter of time at that point before Steam looks like the App Store 
or Google Play in the sense that like just people just dumping software onto that thing and it becomes very hard to get noticed. And sure enough, you know, that's, that's where we're at. But um, yeah, so like if people are are struggling to launch their or, or trying to figure out how to launch their first game on Steam right now, yeah, it's a, honestly, I, I don't even know. Mm-hmm. I don't even know, don't know what you do. Well, the same the um, same high level rules apply, but the application the specifics yeah, are very the specifics are really important, yeah. and that's sort of that's the place where I think we've we've lost uh, I think the ability to give really easy specific advice on like the entry point stuff. Whereas I think five years ago it felt kind of similar enough that it was something that felt worthwhile to share people. And now it's like, eh, I'd rather look at really weird production level issues and like how to manage a studio year 10 and, you know, do biz dev stuff. So do, do you guys feel like as well, cause, cause we've, we've done a lot of work to try to better define our roles in the studio. And, you know, uh, around the time we launched Crashlands, uh, it was just the three of us mm-hmm. and um, each of us, had our hands in every part of the studio at on some level. And now even though the studio isn't that much bigger, um, we have we have brought more people in with and we've more clearly delineated our roles mm-hmm. and we have more things that each of us doesn't do, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's like there's aspects of what happens in the studio that I purposely do not get involved in, mm-hmm. right? And I don't know what's going on over there. Um, which has the the perks of like it allows me to focus more on my specific thing, but also I just have less knowledge in that area now than I did five years ago because I just it's not my it's not my problem now, mm-hmm. right? So, do you guys feel like that has made it so that if you're talking to people at something like a GDC or whatever, that um, that you have more like I'm not so sure about that moments. Mm. That was do you, do you always f- the case for me with respect to game dev stuff. Since mm-hmm. like I didn't have my hands in the guts of the games, the kind right. of whole time because you're always on the on the web side. Yeah, and especially yeah. early on when we didn't, when we weren't doing business, you know, because we didn't know <laughs> we didn't have opportunities and didn't know what we were even supposed to be trying to do. Uh, then that aspect of it was something that none of us knew about, you know. And so, so there, my focus at the time was like tools and web, right, and. Nobody yeah. was talking about web stuff at all, mm-hmm. uh, and and then the business stuff too. Like the the people who were sort of in our you know cohort of people trying to like early on trying to get things working, um, also weren't thinking about the business, so they weren't really providing that to us either. So that one I definitely felt out of place uh, a lot of the time, just trying to figure out like what do I? Where's my point of connection? Like, and for that it was basically like. I was aware of the industry and what was happening in it. Mm-hmm. And so that was the, the point of connection. Um, and uh, and I've, since, I, since I've maintained that piece, sort of independent of roles, because that kind of always matters for the three of us to be able to think like, oh, what yeah. is the future looking like, right? Um, then I would say I've, I've found that that point of connection has been available and maintained the whole time and is also mm-hmm. the one that kind of floats above the whole details being specific thing mm-hmm. that where everyone's just doing different stuff. Um, right. And so, yeah. So when it comes to like the practical questions of like how do I launch a game and like all this kind of stuff, like those ones, I'm like, honestly, like our experience will not can't inform. Your yeah, experience. but go so Google I can it have to opinions because like you know there's yeah. a lot of stuff that's more recent of whatever I'm gonna tell you. But the, yeah. but the high level idea <laughs> is this, you know, like here's and I think I, that's it's yeah. a good thing to recognize when you're like, listen, I don't know. My advice yeah. is probably not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the problem so, is the same as so it always been. Which is discoverability of a launch title. Yep. That has always been, will always be the problem. Uh, but what it means for you to sort of spin the flywheel on that mm-hmm. is 
has dramatically changed the whole time. And, and, you know, and like we've said on the podcast, we've, we've gotten very lucky a few times uh, with how things turned out and they didn't have to turn out that way. Um, And in the times that we did the right thing, and that's why things went well or got lucky or got lucky and did the right thing. Right. Uh, Those were in context that don't even exist anymore. Um, And so it's just the same rules apply. It's just that, and it's that whole idea of survivorship bias, right? It's don't, do not listen to other developers who tell you this is why I was successful. Just do the same thing. Yeah. So, so with the survivorship bias thing, all you can really do is is people can't tell you what to do. They can tell you what they did and then what happened, mm-hmm. right? And they don't even know if what happened was because of what they did. Correct. So if they say that that's true, just ignore that part, right? Just look at what they did, look at what happened, and then do that with a lot of different developers and just try to extrapolate, mm-hmm. right? Because advice can't really be about what people should do. It's It should be more about just like a statistical gathering of data points yeah. right? The, that you can then try to use to figure out what you need to yeah, do. The reality is that I think there's there's a lot more small moments that lead up to all these successes than is comfortable to even think about in the sense that it takes there's, – it's not a, there's not silver bullets for any of this stuff. It takes – just a million bullets and you don't know which one is yeah. which ones are even hitting stuff but you just it's sort of a spray and pray scenario i think no matter what level you're operating at that's my that's my always high level it's advice also at this point. it's like a lot more chance than anyone is comfortable yep. with like a lot yeah. more which is why trying to optimize your decision making around existing for as long as possible mm-hmm. And and rolling the dice as many times as possible has always been our strategy, <laughs> um, because we just think sometimes we'll be lucky and sometimes we won't, uh, and we'll just continue to try to improve, do our best, deliver good stuff, and exist as long as we can, uh, so that we maximize the number of chances we have at at getting lucky yeah. and and hanging in there. It's so. knowing that everything is fickle. Nothing is guaranteed, right? I mean, it's the reason that we're cross-platform. It's not because we want to make a game that has to be able to be played with no matter what the hell you try to touch it. You know, kind of thing. Yeah, that's harder. That's, that's really harder hard to do. <laughs> yeah. and, and we don't want to be limited by like the lowest end hardware out there, right? Because that means we can't. Yeah, because that's also harder. That's mm-hmm. also harder, right? Uh, but in doing so, and and actually like focusing our expertise on being able to do that, so that we get good at it, we could do it fast, and you know then now our options, like the whole time we're developing, while the industry is changing around us, we could do, we could still do anything, right? So if somebody comes to us and says, hey, I will just give you all the money in the universe to put it on my platform and nobody else's. If it already works on that platform, we'll be like, perfect. It already works with yeah. a racing wheel. Steering <laughs> yeah. We're so, already ready to go. Uh, and we so, built steering wheel support in from day one yep. and just in case, mm-hmm. in case this moment yep. came. And with the, with the DevOps strategy and the, and the design strategy of, Having the thing be playable all the time, as early as possible. It's gone through tests. It's going, it's going through deployments every time we make any changes, like all that stuff, right? So we're just ready to go. Then uh, we can take advantage of the part where the most chance and randomness is and the most luck is, uh, which is the stuff that directly impacts launch, which is mostly business opportunities, uh, but then also marketing opportunities and related things. Yep. Yeah, so just hang in there. Do your best, you know. Uh, survive. Mm-hmm. 
That's all you can do. <laughs> all right, that's all the time we have for this week. I would like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Costa, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.